You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 26, Gardner Duzois and Han Solo. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Watchers and welcome to episode 26 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher and with me as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Brian? We're going to talk a little bit about Solo today, but before we do that, we have a couple of things we want to talk about. First thing, those of you who are very big into science fiction probably already know this, but Gardner Duzois passed away on May the 27th. And I'm just going to go ahead and read the obituary that appeared on the the Science Fiction Writers Association's website. Gardner Duzois, born 1947, died on May 27, 2018. Duzois won 15 Hugo Awards for his editing and back-to-back Nebula Awards for his short stories The Peacemaker and Morning Child. He had a long career as an author and was one of the most influential editors the field has seen, publishing year's best anthologies for more than 35 years. Serving as the editor of Asimov's Science Fiction from 1984 to 2004, and editing or co-editing several original anthologies with Jack Dan, George R. R. Martin, and others. He served as reprint editor for Clark's World magazine and reviewed short fiction for Locus magazine. A week before his death, Duzois received the Solstice Award from SFWA. Duzois began publishing in 1966 when his story, The Empty Man, appeared in If magazine. His first novel, Nightmare Blue, co-written with George Alec Effinger, was published in 1975. In 1977, he took over editing Best Science Fiction Stories of the Year from Lester Del Rey and began editing original anthologies with Dan in 1980. In the 1970s, he worked as an assistant on several magazines including If, Galaxy, and World of Tomorrow. He took over as editor of Isaac Asimov's science fiction magazine from Shauna McCarthy in 1984. Although he published less short fiction after taking over the editorial reigns of Asimov's, he did continue to publish new works as well as his own collections. He only published one solo novel, Strangers, but after he resigned from Asimov's, he published the novel Hunter's Run, co-written with Martin and Daniel Abraham. He was the editor guest of honor at the Millennium Philcon, the 59th World Science Fiction Convention, and in conjunction with his appearance, Old Earth Books published Bing Gardner Duzois, a book-length interview conducted by Michael Swanwick. Duzois and co-editor George R. R. Martin received the World Fantasy Award for their anthology, Dangerous Women. Duzois and Jonathan Strahan received the Detmar Award for the anthology, The New Space Opera. Duzois won the ReaderCon Award for his book, Slow Dancing Through Time, and the Sidewise Award for his short story, Counterfactual. He was inducted into the Science Fiction Hall of Fame in 2011, and received the Skylark Award in 2016. Duzois was married to Susan Casper, who preceded him in death last year. The two collaborated on both short fiction and anthologies, and Duzois published a complete collection of Casper's short fiction after her death. SFWA President Cat Rambo remembers Duzois. Gardner was always larger than life, a little loud, a little body, and always the biggest presence in the room. But he also knew his stuff, backwards and forwards, and his mark on the genre is written in indelible ink. I'm so glad SFWA got the chance to honor him when he was still around to appreciate it. 
but I sure wish he had had a lot more time in which to do so. Wow, there's some big hmm. stuff going on there. Hugo and oh, yes. Saturn, all well, kinds well, of Gartner stuff du- going on. Well, Gardner Duzois, and I won't, uh, I won't dwell on this for too long, but uh, Gardner was a huge name. He was a he was a big deal in science fiction. As an editor, of course, he edited the year's best science fiction anthology, like I said, for the last 35 years. He had his finger on the pulse of, of science fiction, and he was a tastemaker, and he brought out a lot of great science fiction. The world of science fiction, it's not going to be the same. I don't know who replaces him. It sounds was like some pretty big shoes. Yes, he mm-hmm. was the man, and science fiction is certainly poorer for him being gone. And so I just wanted to take a moment for all the geek watchers out there to acknowledge uh, the passing of Gardner Duzois and Godspeed. And now, before we get started with talking about Solo, one other piece of news crossed over the desk today. I read a Collider article that mentioned that there had been rumors, and it looks like these rumors are panning out, that Andrew Lincoln, who mm-hmm. plays Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead, after this season, this is going to be his last season. Mm-hmm. He's going to be gone after season nine. Yeah, it kind of sounded like he maybe like even a during the season be won't even be the end of the season cliffhanger. Like it's going to happen sometime soon. So. Yeah, well, they uh, according to what I read in the Collider article, they only have him contracted to do six shows. Mm-hmm. And as we know, there's a lot more shows in a season mm-hmm. in a full season than just six. In fact, there's more than six episodes in a half season. Of mm-hmm. course, they the way they have it structured now, they do a half season, they have a mid-season cliffhanger, and then after a couple of months, two or three months, then mm-hmm. the second half. So it wouldn't surprise me if Rick is gone before the, the, the mid-season cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. What I've also read is that Lauren Cohen, who plays... Maggie. Maggie, right. Mm-hmm. She's currently renegotiating her contract, but right now they've only got her for six episodes. Oh, wow. Okay. And her season... CBS pilot, which we talked about before, it looks like it's been picked up. Uh-huh. Okay. So the question's going to be, is she going to be mm-hmm. around? And there's also been talk, and I can't confirm any of this, is that Denai Guerrera doesn't currently have a contract at this point. Oh, wow. And with Black Panther and the Marvel Cinematic, you know, she doesn't. She's... Yeah, she doesn't need. Yeah, she yeah, doesn't the need Walking to stay. Dead doesn't have to be her moneymaker. And so we could be losing up to three characters in this next season. And I mean, major characters. And so, honestly, at this point, with Rick being gone, and when he leaves, the only two long-timers who have been with the show since the beginning would be Norman Reedus as Daryl, and then Melissa McBride, who plays Carol. So Mm -hmm. that's it. And what I read in the article is they're looking at having Daryl step up to be the protagonist. Yeah, I can see that. I I just, I look at the story, and I, I think they could go a couple ways with it. Like, I foresee them going, oh, okay, like Maggie saying, you know, we got to kill Negan because that was our cliffhanger and then something happening to Rick and Rick dying and then the rest of the people realizing we don't have a leader we need someone who's capable of being a leader and saying well we have Negan who we know can be a leader and then put Negan in the spot of the hero now yeah well here's the thing the way that he is at this point if Negan were to take over it's saviors 2.0 basically drag him out of the hole but Of course, in the comics, he's had time to develop, and his personality's kind of changed, but that's really come from his dealings with Carl and his dealings with Rick, and if both of them are gone, any kind of a redemption for Neekin seems kind of pushing it. 
I do have to say this, and let me compare a couple of AMC shows, The Walking Dead, to another show that was extremely popular for AMC, which was Breaking Bad. Uh, did you mm-hmm. get a chance to watch any of that show I've at all? I've seen it. I couldn't tell you anything about it. I know the phrase, I'm the one who knocks. That's right. about all I know. Yes. And, and the blue meth. And the I know blue meth. Blue meth and I'm the one who knocks. That's pretty much all I got. Well, one thing I will definitely say about Breaking Bad that make Breaking Bad such a good show is that they knew they were going to have an exit strategy. They had it plotted out for five seasons, and at, at the end of the five seasons, they had an ending to the series. And it wasn't something that was cobbled together. They always knew they were going to end it at five. Walter White had this gigantic story arc from beginning to end. It is a full, complete story. And it ended when it it needed to end. And it ended with people still really into the show. Michael Jordan retiring when he was still the best basketball player ever. And that's what we will always remember him because that's when he retired. Exactly. He didn't stick around and people are like, oh, he's past his prime and and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We never had that moment. And we never had that moment with Breaking Bad. It was past its prime. When it left, it left people wanting more. Mm-hmm. But it left at the time when it needed to. Now, the problem with Walking Dead is I think it's already past that time. Mm-hmm. I think it's gone too far at this point where it could... Uh, it could end well. Now, knowing that Rick is going to be gone, they could come up with some way to tie the story together in this ninth season and come up with a solid ending. My worry is, and what I think is going to be the situation is, I don't think AMC wants to do that. The problem I think that The Walking Dead is going to have is that it is a huge cash cow for AMC, and they're just going to beat this dead horse until Mm -hmm. the time when... People are going to get tired of seeing it, which is going to be a shame. I think they're just going to try to pull as much money out of this as they can. And I think instead of having a dynamic, powerful ending of a series that we can talk about from years to come, like Breaking Bad has, I think it's just going to wither and die on the vine. And that's a pity because this has been a great show. Well, let's just cross our fingers, light some candles, and pray that there will be deus ex machina, and they will bring, oh, Carl's not dead. Carl comes back. Carl leads everyone to life and victory and future. Well, maybe. But honestly, even if they were to do that, I think at this point it wouldn't be good enough. I think we're not, we are looking at the last days of Walking Dead, whether we want it or not, or whether AMC wants it or not, so. But we've got uh, season nine. I guess we'll see what happens. Right. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about Solo. Now, I, uh-huh, I've, Solo. Mm-hmm. Solo. I've gone to see it, but you didn't get, I have did. not been able to see it. So. Which the movie times just didn't work out, and I was not able to. Well, see it. of course, the irony <clears throat> of it is you're not alone because not that it did badly; it was the number one film, but it didn't break a hundred million. Ah, uh, that's what they were. Oh yeah, wanting and expecting. Well, and... well, you have to understand too is that this movie cost them two hundred million. This movie mm-hmm. was the most expensive Star Wars movie ever made. Are you serious? I am serious. Wow. But you know why? No, I don't. Because after about 80% of the film was shot, they fired the two directors and had to replace Uh, them with Ron Howard, and he had to come back and reshoot most of it. This was a Justice League level problem that that they ran into. And so it's not in the effects, it's not in the actors, it's <laughs> it's the fact that they had to redo the whole freaking movie. Yeah, that wow. it's a problem. 
Now, I don't want to go into a whole lot of spoilers. I'm going to say there will be, if you've not seen it and you're planning on seeing it, this might be the time to pause. I'm going to try to avoid a whole bunch of spoilers. Oh, but I don't I'm, care about spoilers. Right. You know, so, but, you know, but if our listeners do, go ahead, turn yeah, it off, go, go watch ahead, it. Go ahead I will. Pop. I will see it eventually. Yes. And really, honestly, the movie times just didn't work out to where right. I could go and see it. And right. it's really not been a priority like i know that i will eventually see it and maybe that's something that the fans are doing too like it's okay if i don't go see this it's not that big an event right which like is everything a else was yeah. yeah which is a real problem and part of the reason and this is some of the things they've been talking about one of the reasons why it's not the event is there used to be a time that star wars movies were events because there was a bit of time between those films you know it's like you had to wait a year for the next star wars mm-hmm. movie well the Last Jedi was just four months ago. Mm-hmm. We've gotten our Star Wars fix already. Mm-hmm. Another problem is this movie opened up behind Avengers, Avengers. and Deadpool. Yeah, and Deadpool. And, and mm-hmm. it really did hurt them. Mm-hmm. It absolutely did hurt them. There are people, you know, this weekend that they went to see Deadpool again or went to see Avengers. And so that's a problem with, I think, with Disney is, and we talked about this on the podcast, why did they decide to start solo up so closely behind uh, Avengers? Avengers. I think it, they just really went for the nostalgia of this. This is the day that the original Star Wars was released, and this is Star Wars weekend and May the fourth. And well, they this. wouldn't. They definitely wouldn't be the first group of people who tried to rush something so they could hit May the fourth and it go and bite them on the on the behind. Mm-hmm. So I guess what it comes down to is I've seen the film, and I guess I need to talk about it. <sighs> okay, I didn't hate it. Wow, that's um Yeah, damn That doesn't sound promising, Brian. Uh, uh, yeah, I believe the term is damned with faint praise, but I and I'm going to tell you, I've seen it once and I don't really have any desire to see it again. Okay. I don't have any need to go back to the theater and watch it, and I probably won't own it on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily feel like you know, I would never see it again. Mm-hmm. Or if it came like, in the box set, would you be like, okay, I'll get the box set, or I'm not paying the extra for the box set? I probably wouldn't pay extra for the box set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, if it's on, I'd watch it. But, and let me tell you. Are you going to buy a Woody Harrelson action figure? No. No, no okay. I'm not going to do that. All right. But let me talk a little bit about what it was about the movie that underwhelmed me. The problem I had with the film, and I don't want to even say it's a problem. Like I said, I didn't mind, you know, I wasn't hating the film while I was watching it. But there are a few issues with the film, definitely. And part of the problems with the film are just inherent with the type of film that it is. It's a prequel. It's a prequel about a popular character. It's a prequel about a popular character that we know what's in his future. Because of that, there's a lot of stuff that's going to fall flat. The main thing is we're not worried that Han Solo is going to die in this film. We know he's not going to die. Right. Because mm-hmm. we know how he dies. I guess it's like watching X-Men Origins Wolverine. Right. We know that he, <laughs> gonna, yeah, we know that, that he's going to be fine. But the problem is many times in the movie the story plays it off as oh well, you he know, might so, die. He might die. Okay. It's trying to develop tension by, oh, is he going to get out of this mess? Well, of course he's going to get out of the mess. We know he's going to get out of the mess. We've mm-hmm. seen the future. We know what's in the future. And so if this were a standalone story and Solo was a character we'd never seen before, there's going to be some tension because, oh my God, he might die. But you can't play that card when you know that the character is going to be all right. Think back to like maybe one of the, I don't know if it was the first, but one of the first prequels was Temple of Doom. 
And it worked because most people didn't even realize that the events of Temple of Doom happened before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. And I'll tell you, I didn't know it because, well, honestly, I was a child and Temple was the first Indiana Jones movie I had seen. I saw that before I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I would have never known that. And a lot of the audience didn't know that. They just... So, thinking, oh, he really could burn up in this volcano. (laughs) Exactly. But again, there's that problem. And, for example, the Kessel Run, which goes through this, um, it's a very... The way he was able to cut all the parsecs off was he took a shortcut through. <laughs> he took a shortcut through some really dangerous, dangerous nebula, which in the center of it was a gravity well. Okay, so this is that's how they made it up to all the uh, fanboys who are like, yeah, we parse- to, yeah. <clears throat> parsecs are a a unit of measurement, not a speed. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's the thing. It's that normally you have to go around all this stuff. He figured out a way of going through it. Now the problem, of course, in all this is that when the Millennium Falcon is caught in the gravity well, and they're like, how are they going to get out of this? Well, we know they're going to, Mm -hmm. because number one, Han Solo ain't going to die, and And the Millennium Falcon Falcon is still there, is is still around, so we know that they managed to do that. And so there's a lot of tension in this film we don't have, because we know that he's going to be all right. Okay. Now, another problem with the story is... And I'm going to give you uh, give you geek watchers here. If you, if you don't know, here's a little bit of storytelling 101. Is that in most stories and in pretty much all movies, you have something that's known as the inciting incident. It's something that happens toward the beginning of the movie, which sets the within hero within the first ten pages. Yes, I remember the... this from my film writing. There you go. <laughs> within the, the first ten pages, there is something that happens that starts the the hero upon the journey. Everything okay. you need to know. Everything. Within the first 10 minutes, go watch all your movies, time them out to 10 minutes, yeah. everyone. You will get every, every all the information you need right yes. there. And at the and at the 10 minute mark, usually around the 10 minute mark, you get this point where some at something happens that the hero has to try to fix. And in Solo, it's the point where he and his girlfriend, Kira, who's played by Amelia Clark, they're trying to escape the slave planet that they're on. Uh, they're both slaves of a crime syndicate. And so they come up with a plan at the beginning to get off of the planet. And they wind up getting separated. She gets captured. Uh, he makes a break for it. But at that point is where he says, I've got to get a ship. I've got to make money so that I can go back and save her. So that is the inciting incident of the movie. And so that's going to be the thing that motivates him to team up with people. It's what motivates him in the beginning to join up with the Empire and become a pilot because that starts the ball rolling, basically, Mm -hmm. for him to fulfill his plan of going back and getting Kira. So we're saying that the Empire has good benefits. Well, when, especially, has a good retirement plan, and well, basically, it allow it would allow him to make money. It would also allow him to become a better pilot, so that all this can happen. Now, here's the problem with the movie: a little bit before halfway through the film, he runs into a crime syndicate known as the Crimson Sons. Okay, and this is where he meets Woody Harrelson's character. That's where they get kind of involved in their criminal activities. But working for the Crimson Sons is Kara. So he meets Kara on this yacht ship of the main bad guy, which now is a problem because this was supposed to be his through line all the way through the movie. Well, now he doesn't need to get a ship, etc., etc., because she's off the planet now. Mm-hmm. She's safe. And so 
they have to kind of rework his motivation from that point. But you've killed the through line of the entire movie because you've basically, all this time he spent trying to get a ship, trying to rescue Kira, now it's completely thrown out the window. It's like, oh, nope, she saved herself. It's done. It's finished. And so now you're kind of left uh, floundering in the middle of the movie, trying to come up with a new motivation for Han Solo, for him to continue to do what he's doing. Tell me, did Kira think that Han had been captured, and has she spent this entire time trying to get back to save him? No, not really. Oh, no. I would have. I would have liked it, that story arc. That yeah. That twist. He just he just continues doing what he's doing because he was doing it before, and now he's doing it now, and and mm. and all of that. And not to say that there weren't there weren't some good things in this movie, and there were a lot of nice nods to if you're a Star Wars fan. Uh, I won't mention the little twist at the end, but. Yeah, they they brought back they brought back somebody I wasn't expecting to see in this movie. Okay, and so I think if I'm going to put a coda on all of this, I have to say that my opinion of the movie is, eh. <laughs> I mean that's that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. So even if you had gone into it never having seen any Star Wars film, not even associating this with the Star Wars universe. You would still feel feel this way because the lack of motivation. Well, this... I, that would definitely okay. de- definitely trashing the the through line makes it a problem mm-hmm. in the film. Now, I have to say, I probably would have enjoyed it more if I didn't know any of the backstory mm-hmm. because a lot of the tension built. I would actually be like, "How are they going to get out of this?" Mm-hmm. You know, See, I know I've, that they're going to. I've heard about people who've who've seen it and stuff. You know, like from one person, I've heard, "Well, there weren't any Jedi, so I didn't like it." And then I've heard, oh, it's like Firefly, so I loved it. So those are the kinds of different things I've been hearing. Right. And which is something that I do enjoy about Firefly and Pitch Black and Alien, those kind of truckers in space. They're not a part of the big starships. Not that I don't love Star Trek, but they're not a part of the big starships. These are the guys who are holding everything together with bubblegum and hope. And Oh, yeah. Well, and seeing that side of it is fascinating. And in fact, there was in... Star Trek The Next Generation, there was an episode where these were the ensigns. It was their story. And so you got to see what dealing with Picard and Riker and and the top tier people were like when you don't deal with that every day. You know, Mm -hmm. they they weren't up on the bridge all the time. And one of them might go up to the bridge for two minutes because they have to be there, but then they're gone, you know. And so the story was told from their viewpoint. The, the grunts. And I do uh, enjoy those uh, episodes of Doctor Who where the Doctor is hardly in, in the, like, blink. And right. um, Gods are Monsters, or I think it's or Time for Monsters, where the, the absorber loft. Um, right. <laughs> you hardly ever see the Doctor because you just catch glimpses of him. And, like, this is what it's like being a normal person in the world right. of... And especially somebody who's, like, a big fan of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. I guess, finally, what I would say about Solo is... And, again, I know this is damning the movie for, with faint praise. But I didn't hate the movie. I didn't love the movie. It's just kind of middle ground for me. And I think that's... Especially with a movie that's trying to make $200 million, that make that money back from what they've spent on it, that's not a place where you want to be. You don't, yeah. you don't want a movie people can just take or leave. And honestly, I just, that's where I am with this film. It's, I've, I've seen it. I'm not upset that I've seen it. I'm not going around saying, hey, you know, this is an hour and a half, two hours. I'm never going to get back again. Mm-hmm. I'm not upset that I spent that time watching the film. I enjoyed parts of it. But it doesn't strike me as a film that I really need to revisit again. 
again. I'll, yeah, I'll eventually see it, but you know, yeah. I'm not in any kind of hurry. I'm looking more forward to a Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. That's the next thing I'm excited about. Well, I have to say, for me, the next thing I'm excited to see, and it comes out June 8th, is Hereditary. Oh, I, I do believe I have seen a little bit about that. Yeah. Not much. This looks like it's going to be really, really mm-hmm. good. Really looking forward to seeing this film and getting a chance to talk about it on the Geek so Watch that's, podcast. That's going to be next week then, right? Yeah. The, okay. Not this coming weekend, but next weekend. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Well, that should do it for this week's podcast. And I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about next week. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, if you do get a chance to see Solo, maybe we can visit this from your your viewpoint. And that way you can tell me where I was wrong in it and what I I got wrong. And uh, I can accept that. And so until next time, from Andy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher reminding all the geek watchers that we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production. <laughs>